0: privilege to be here. Um, When I was asked around about uh, eight months ago if I'd come over to be involved in this Bible Blitz, I knew that this is where God wanted me to be. There was no doubt about it in my mind whatsoever. And I'm so excited because uh, when I got here, the Gideons have looked after us so well. We had a banquet last night, which was tremendous. And they told us what you're doing over here in distributing the word of God in what we call the traffic lanes of life but I also have to say that I nearly never got here. And I'm one sense reluctant to share with you, but I do it because I believe this is the way the Holy Spirit works sometimes. I was all ready to go. I'm down to Melbourne, because I live in the country a hundred kilometers away. And my wife wanted to go to a Gideon ladies prayer meeting on the way at Ballarat. That's a hundred kilometers from where we lived. She's at the prayer meeting and I'm having lunch in the town. And something said to me, Les, you haven't got your passport. And I said, well, I have my passport. Get this out of my head. 10 minutes after, Les, you haven't got your passport. And I said, no, 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 that's not right. I know I put my passport in. And I went out to the car and I'm reading the paper and something said to me, Les, you have not got your passport. And for the third time I said, no, that's not right. No, no, no. Get it out of your head. The head's not working properly. I'm on the way to pick up my wife who was praying for us at that time. and praying for this Bible blitz and Les, you have your wife's passport. <laughs> oh no, no, it couldn't possibly be. I stopped the car. I got out and there's the picture of my wife <laughs> in the passport. So we had to drive back to Ararat 100 kilometers and then 200 kilometers down to Melbourne. You know, God is really good and there's no doubt it in my mind. He was showing me that he wanted me here at this Bible Blitz. You know, Gideon's are about placing the word of God in the traffic lanes of life. And as we place this year, around about 81 million copies of the Word of God. In other words, every time your heart beats, two copies of the Word of God goes out. Every time your heart beats, two copies of the Word of God goes out on behalf of your church and my church in Australia. Isn't that exciting? Okay. And when I think about it, it's not just a matter of how many scriptures we get out there. It's a matter of how many men, women, girls and boys might come to know Jesus Christ as their personal saviour because that is our objective. Our objective is that men, women, girls and boys might come to know him as their personal saviour and that their lives might be changed. After speaking at a church, my own church, at Ararat, country Ararat, this lady came up to me, drew me aside and tears running down her face and she said, I have to say, thank you for Gideon's. I said, why do you say that? She said, well, I'm ashamed of it, but I worked as a prostitute in Melbourne. And between clients, I picked up the Bible and I started to read it and I found Jesus as my personal saviour. And I can tell you, he took me out of that situation and now I just think, where would I be today if it wasn't for that Bible that was in that motel room. That's a fact. I was speaking in another church down in Melbourne and on this particular occasion, the pastor at the end got up and he said, there may be some people who'd like to give their life to Christ today, who'd like to rededicate their life to him or simply come forward for prayer. Seven people came forward in that meeting and the pastor said, would I look after the man at the end? So I went over to the man at the end and I said, what made you come forward in the meeting today? He said, well, I can't believe it. I've never been in this church before. I was walking past the church and something said to me, get in there. I want you in there. So I came in. He said, and you're speaking on Gideon's work. He said, I was a druggie in West Australia and I got caught for distributing drugs. I went to jail and in jail, I picked up the Bible and I found Jesus as my savior and he said, I started to follow him and then I came over to Melbourne and I've backslidden and today I know that he wants me and I'm going to rededicate my life to him. Okay. You know, that's the way God works. And just think of the Bibles that are going to go out in this country over the next week, 60,000 scriptures. That's our objective, 60,000 scriptures in the schools and the universities here. And I've got to say in our country, you know, we talk about the need for the young ones to have the scriptures in their hands because there are so many homes that don't have a Bible in them. And unless we give them a Bible, they won't have the opportunity to read the word of God. And I praise God for the number of people who have received a testament at school and are now in the full-time ministry, even though they came out of a home without a Bible in them. You know, God's spirit really leads. So I'd ask you for your prayer support as we go out and distribute the word of God over this next week. Six of us from other countries are going along with the very faithful Gideons in this country. And it's a delight to be able to do this. You know, I say to myself, the worldwide Gideons involving 300,000 men and women is understandably a very strong missionary extension of our church, of your church, obviously, and of my church. I cannot speak more highly of the way in which the Gideons here have been working diligently to uh, arrange this Bible Blitz over this next week. And I can also say that um, we are pleased that we are able to nowadays, to a limited degree, go into mainland China and distribute Bibles through Gideons. Three million copies of the Word of God has gone out over the last 10 years. It's about 25,000 copies going in, not in the traditional way, but through the, through the churches in China. And we ask for your prayer support for this because we have seen the way in which God has worked in other countries. In the time that I've been involved in Gideon's, when I started, it was a million, co- it was a million copies. No, I'll go another way. It was 20 million copies a year. Today, 80-plus million copies a year. He opened the doors in Russia. He opened the doors in India. India today, around about 14 million copies of the Word of God going out each year into India. And I believe he's going to open the door in mainland China. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. I have been into mainland China on holidays a couple of times, and my wife and I always take little testaments with us. We declared them on the way in. This is in the early 90s and also in the early 2000s. We declared them on the way in. They allowed us in with them. And we gave them to young people who we believe could speak English. And well, what's the result? We really don't know. You know, this week, the concentration is going to be on your city here. As we go into the universities and the schools Pray with us that the doors will be open. Pray for the safety of the people. Pray that we might get there on time. You know, I don't know the networks here. And, you know, just pray that, because we need it. Quite honestly, we do. But most importantly, pray that men, women, girls and boys might come to know Jesus Christ as their personal saviour as they receive the word of God. Thank you for the privilege of being able to share with you this morning and I want to leave you with this verse of scripture from Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. May we be found to be diligent as we go out and distribute the word of God in the traffic lanes of life so that others might come to know him as their personal savior. Now, I understand that this morning, as you leave, there'll be an opportunity to um, Place some money on that, on the Bibles, either at that door or that door, and let me assure you that any money given towards Gideon's today, or any time for that money, for that matter, we're not 100% always great at
1: living out that unity. Scriptures. And People it starts like myself, at simple levels. God's we're an international good, church. And he's Arguably, this morning we have between 50 and be 15 here, and, and 20 nationalities represented, way. if we count. And I much. love that. But let's say you're a young mid 20s youth pastor that moves from the middle of nowhere in America to Hong Kong, a city that is very densely populated, hard to find your way around it, and all of these things, you find very quickly you don't fit in. You go to the Wampo or the Hong Kong wet market and you ask how much something costs and they tell you this, <laughs> hang loose in American. But that's not what it means here, it means six. Or they tell me this one, what, are you going fishing and you're hooking me? <laughs> I'm confused. No, that means nine. These should be common sense, but I didn't grow up here. So to me, I already felt more like an outsider, let alone the shortness and the red hair. So let's progress further. I go to Manila last year with Pastor Dan for a discipleship conference, and all I want is a Dunkin' Donut (laughs) because they're there. And you've heard me talk about those. And I walk up to somebody and I say, how do I get to Dunkin' Donuts? And they're, They pucker their lips. Are we kissing? Are we greeting each other with a holy kiss? I was very confused. And so I asked another person and I got the word there. And it was the same thing. And I discovered later on that in the Philippines, you give directions with your mouth and with your head. And it's rarely our words needed. It's just there. And I had to learn that. And then I walked into the church and I was talking with someone from other English speaking nations, and they keep referring to this thing called Z. And I was like, what is Z? You know, A, B, C, D, all the way up, X, Y, Z. I don't know what Z is. In our alphabet, the last letter of the language is Z. All of those times, I felt like I don't fit in. Where do I belong? And those are humorous examples but they underscore a very real point because for each of you at some point in your life you walked into a church and were an outsider you walked in and you didn't know anybody some of you might be visitors this morning and welcome and i really hope you get a good welcome today otherwise we're not doing very well at what i'm about to talk about but there's a bigger issue because one of the things that's well known about churches is we're really good at being against stuff But not a lot of people know who we're for. We're really good about arguing and fighting for purity in certain areas, yet if you look at us, we struggle just as much as everybody else. And people don't always see Jesus in us. Yet Jesus was so clear, and he gave us an invitation to love others. He gave us an invitation starting right before the passage we're going to look at this morning. And this is Jesus speaking and he tells us, For God so loved the world. It's such a famous verse that even if you don't follow Jesus, many of you know this verse. Or you see it in stadiums and whatnot all over the place. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then we get to the second bit and Jesus goes on. We don't have time to go through the whole thing. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And sometimes my fear is in churches, we get really good at condemning the world and letting them know they're sinners, but we forget to invite them into the wonderful hope that is Jesus Christ. And so today I want to look at three people. Starting in John chapter 4 verse 1, we're going to look at a sinner, We're going to look at a sympathizer, and we're going to look at a man with special needs. And we're going to ask the question, if they showed up at AIC, how well would we accept them? And what did Jesus do? Knowing that these are Jesus' words, that he came into the world, as the verse was referred to by Les just a minute ago, to seek and save that which was lost. Well, how do we respond to that today? Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you open up the gates wide and say all we have to do is believe in your son and we will be saved. Yet so many reject it. Very few come through. I pray that we would be marked by our love for you that spills out into our love for others. And Lord, quiet our hearts. May my words be few and may we respond to the teaching of your word through your son this morning. In your name I pray, amen. We pick up the story in Jerusalem. Jesus finds himself there. His public ministry has begun and it's in full swing. He's got his disciples. He's called them. And first thing, Group Dynamics 101, when you're getting a team together, it's great if they all have kind of a common goal or common affinity. Uh, You want them to be unified. And yet, as Dr. McCall reminded us uh, last weekend, Jesus recruited a tax collector and a zealot. He recruited people that were just laborers and people that would have known what it was like to have much. And they were expected to come together and get along. And they were the ones on whom the church would be spread out into all the world. The first disciples. So right off the bat, Jesus begins to to call into question the Jewish idea of who gets in. Because he doesn't just call a Pharisee. In fact, we don't hear really of a Pharisee following Jesus with all of his heart until the Apostle Paul. There's a couple others that are in there a little bit. The Apostle Paul is the first one we hear greatly about. Before that, people that were the least of these, people that were outcasts, people that weren't very popular, were those Jesus chose not just to walk alongside, but to go do the ministry. And he set them free pretty early on. Interestingly, in John chapter 4, verse 1, look at what it says. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. That's, you know, he is the son of God. We hope that people, when exposed to the truth of who God is through his son, Jesus Christ, they will respond and they will believe. That's our prayer. But interestingly, it wasn't Jesus that was baptizing. It was his disciples. And I want to stop for a second in this concept of thinking about accepting others the way Jesus did and think it who Jesus is inviting to do one of the great sacraments of the church. We say at Alliance International Church and in the Kowloon Tong Alliance Church of the Chinese Christian Missionary Alliance, our full title, that we have two sacraments practiced at the church. One of them will be practiced later on and that's called communion or the Lord's Supper. The other one is what we call holy baptism. It's just baptism. We like to add the word holy because it means we're set apart for God. But here, Jesus doesn't go do the baptizing. He lets a bunch of young punks that know very little about him, that haven't had years of seminary, years of Pharisee training, years of religious experience. They're new in their faith. They're new in following Jesus. And that's who he has doing the ministry. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says, you know me, come follow me, was the invitation. They did. And he has them out baptizing pretty early on. In churches, sadly, sometimes we find people that are excited about following Jesus Christ and need to be freed up to serve him where they're called. And we say, you're not ready yet. Now, there is a time and place for that. And there are roles that we have to be very diligent with. But by and large, we should be inviting people into what we call every member ministry. Why is that? Because if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were adopted into his family. And his family has been given gifts. And each member of his family is expected to use those gifts for his glory to build up the body of believers and expand his word and light all over the world. So we need to be setting each other free to go tell the good news of Jesus Christ to all those that would hear, just as Jesus did right with the disciples. Early on, were they qualified? No. But did they have enough that they needed? Yes, because Jesus promises us, I will never send you alone. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul teaches us that even in temptation, he'll never give us more than we can handle. So right away we realize that Jesus has a history of equipping people for his work. That he brings people in that wouldn't necessarily get along or be your first picks. It's like if you were in school and you were trying to play a game and you had two captains and the captain begins to choose their teams and they always start with the best at whatever game or activity that is, right? Right. Well, Jesus didn't go for the best. He went for those that were called to follow him. And I love that time and again we're pointed to that. So the story goes on that we're going to be introduced to a sinner. And i want to give you a little background. Jesus makes his way and we're told that he had to go, verse 4, he had to go through Samaria. Now, here's the thing. We need to understand something about how Jews, which Jesus is one, felt about Samaria. Nothing happened. GOOD COMES FROM SAMARIA. FOR ME, THE CLOSEST THING I CAN RELATE TO THAT IS I AM AN AMERICAN. AND I GREW UP SOME OF MY LIFE IN AN AREA CALLED OHIO. WE HAVE A UNIVERSITY THERE CALLED THE OHIO STATE UNIVERSITY. AND YES, THE THE IS MEANT TO BE THERE. IT IS THE OHIO STATE UNIVERSITY. OFTEN IT IS THE LARGEST UNDERGRADUATE INSTITUTION IN AMERICA, AND IT IS AMAZING. IT'S A GREAT SCHOOL. I DIDN'T GRADUATE THERE. I WISH I DID. But all those things aside, when we think about places we don't ever want to go, there is a state just to the north of us that we refuse to use the name of because it's that state up north. It's called Michigan. No good thing in an Ohioan's mind comes out of Michigan, okay? We can't stand them. We would use words like hate or if you wear something blue, you're in trouble because those are Michigan colors and we wear scarlet and gray, okay, you with me? On a much more significant level, Jews wouldn't associate it all with Samaritans. They viewed Samaritans as unclean. So walking into their land, if one of them touched you, you would be considered ceremonially unclean. Not because of what God's word said, but because of laws and tradition that came before. You see, what happened with the Jewish tradition was the Pharisees and the Sadducees kept adding on to the word of God and making laws to protect from breaking the law. And so in that, one of the rules was that if you come in contact with the Samaritan, you will be unclean. And so to avoid that, what you would do is, here's a map roughly of a good chunk of Israel. And so instead of going, and Jesus was making his way where we think Sikar is, which is where he was headed to get up to Cana, where we'll find him later on in chapter 4, normally what you would do to avoid Samaria is you would cross the Jordan River, go north, and then make a hard left and go over to Cana in Galilee. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus, we're told in the scripture, had to go to Samaria. It's one little word with three letters. But what it indicates there is something wonderful. Because the had as it's used there tells us as you look back and you look into the Greek that it wasn't having to follow the road. In fact, tradition would say he wouldn't dare go that way. But it was the Spirit of God working on him, prompting him to go to Samaria. And so yes, Jesus had to go to Samaria because it was God's will that he go there. So sure enough, he goes there. And he shows up, he sits down at a well at noon. Few things that are problematic here. As you see in verses 7 and 9, a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said, will you give me a drink? Okay. We've built up and we've got the context. Now we need to understand there are four problems that are associated with Jesus being at this well. And we need to understand them before we can see how God is at work in people's lives. First, It was noon. The sixth hour there, typically your day, you would measure your day starting at 6 a.m. Some of you got up at 6 a.m. this morning? I know Sydney did. He was pacing on Facebook. (laughs) And it's great because I know somebody's praying with me in the morning. And I saw Linda did as well. Well done, morning people. Yay! (laughs) But anyway, it's 6 a.m., jesus had walked or whenever he started but it was the sixth hour he's tired we're told in the scriptures he's weary so he sits down for a drink but the thing is it's not normal to sit down at a well in the middle of the day it's the hottest part of the day you wouldn't do it and interestingly he's at this well in samaria where he wouldn't be naturally and he sees a woman there okay it's a samaritan woman so that makes it then even worse Not only is it a Samaritan, but it's a woman. And a Jewish man, particularly a single Jewish man, would not talk to another woman on his own. That would be inappropriate, according to tradition. And she, too, was at the well at a strategic time, largely because, as we learn later on in chapter 4, this is a woman that had had five husbands. And in tradition, she could have had two or three and that would have been okay, but five was too many. She would have been an outcast. She would have been seen as immoral. She would have been seen as sleeping around, probably an adulteress, because the sixth man she was now with was not her husband. She was on the outside of society. And the only time she could have gone to the well to get water would have been when no one else would have been there because no one's going to want to associate with her. The term we often use in church is she would have been like a leper. No one would have wanted to be anywhere near her. But Jesus sits down and has the audacity to say, you give me a drink. She's not going to know what to do with that. One, who is this guy? Why is he there at noon? That's my time. It's so when I go and I get my peace and quiet nobody's judging me. So she's probably expecting to be judged. Worse, she's going to be judged by a Hebrew, by a Jewish man. And the woman says to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Even the Bible tells us Jews don't associate with Samaritans. So why is it such a big deal that Samaria was what it was? Why couldn't Jesus talk to this Samaritan woman? Well, if you go back into Ezekiel and even further back into 2 Kings, we find out that the Assyrians had pulled the Jews out of Samaria in about 700 BC. And they began to replace them with people from other nations. The goal was to get rid of ethnic unity in that land. And they would do that by transplanting people from other areas now God had told the Jewish people the Israelite people as they're known in the Old Testament not to intermarry with those in because what would happen is they would begin to practice the worship of false gods to practice their laws and their beliefs and they would begin to pull away from following God and what we see here in Ezekiel is is in the midst of all the sins that had been committed in Samaria. So Samaria was this outcast place that no one was to associate with. And the tradition said that no Jew that came from Samaria was fully a Jew. Some of you, depending on where you come from ethnically, can understand that. You're not real American because you've got too many other countries in your blood or whatever that may be. Well, that was what the Samaritans were known as. They were known as not really Jewish people. And they had committed horrible atrocities. They had aligned themselves with false gods. The scriptures tell us that they had practiced human sacrifice of children. They did nasty things. They were not holy and upright people as history proved. Yet when we get to Ezekiel and God is dealing with Judah and Israel and he's proclaiming judgment on them for withdraw- from their apostasy and their idolatry, which we talked about a few weeks ago. And look what God says. He said, Samaria didn't commit half of the sins you did, referring to Israel. You have done more detestable things than they and have made your sisters seem righteous by all these things you've done. And then Ezekiel is called to prophesy even more. And your sister's Sodom, and we know about Sodom and Gomorrah, not a popular place to be. And Samaria with her daughters will return to what they were, before they'll be brought back and you and your daughters will return to what you were before and the text continues on that when israel and judah see what god had done to samaria and sodom and how he would brought them back that they would feel ashamed for their own sin and god would use that as an allegorical message of who he is in his work and so you move ahead into the time of Jesus. And who does Jesus sit down with? A Samaritan woman. A woman with this history. A woman that is invited to come back into the fold. A woman that has generations of sin behind her and has followed suit with adultery, with sinful behavior, with divorce, with these things that God has called evil. And Jesus invites her to life. I want you to read in your Bibles. I don't have it on the screen, but he said, I can give you verse 16 or verse 15. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to drink, to draw water. Because right before that, he said, I can give you water so that you'll never thirst again. She doesn't track with him. She's thinking pragmatically. She's thinking he's talking about some sort of magical water that quenches your thirst forever. I used to think lemonade was supposed to do that. It doesn't. I'm still thirsty. But for her, she's thinking Jesus is is somehow going to do something magical. She doesn't figure out quite yet who he is and what he's offering. But he doesn't lose patience with her because she doesn't understand. He makes a course correction. And he begins to welcome her in by doing something odd. Go get your husband. (laughs) Well, I don't have a husband. You're right, you've had five. And the man you're currently living with isn't your husband. Now see, here's the thing. For most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, this is the point of the conversation where we're going to try to be getting out of it. Because there's a lot of baggage in that relationship already. And that might mean it's going to take us a lot of time to listen to all the problems in their lives, right? Be honest. You realize this person has had a rough life. This person hasn't made great decisions. And you know what? I'm hungry, or in this case, thirsty. I don't have time for this. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus looks in the eyes of a sinner a person that would have been an outcast. And he shows her the way. He said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The very truth of God's word was standing in front of her. And Jesus invites her to believe on him go get your husband, bring him. She doesn't only get her husband, but she gets people from Sichar as well. And they come back. They hear what God has already done in her life and they're curious because she's different. Already she's different. She brings him back. They hear who Jesus is and what he's doing and they're curious. They come back and we're told in the scriptures that they believed not just because of her testimony, but they saw the word the very word of God at work in their midst, and they believed. What's that have to do with accepting others like Jesus did? Well, for most of us, we like our churches to be full of people that we like, right? I want to get along with you, my church family, and it's a lot easier if you think like me, right? Or if I think like you is probably more fair. But what if someone comes in that's had just a really hard life? What if someone's made so many mistakes, they're shown all over the body through one act or another, and you can just tell? Would they have a home in our our church? Would they be accepted and be offered the gift of living water, the gift of eternal life for all who would believe in Jesus? Or would we try to avoid them because they make us uncomfortable? because we don't have time to sit and listen to all their problems because we've got work, we've got this, we've got that. Jesus had to go to Sychar. He sat down at a well and he talked to a woman. And because of that, an entire village was transformed and Jesus was seen in a whole different light. And a sinner was saved and believed on Jesus Christ. And we're told to go and do likewise. You see, Jesus in the verses before, if you look just up, he looks at his disciples and he tells you, open your eyes and look around. The fields are ripe for harvest. Look around. She's not the only one that needs me. You want to know what he's saying there? He's not saying, go figure it all out. Just go out and live as I am showing you to live and chase people down that need to know who I am. And it's like he's promising his disciples here that those people are going to be everywhere. Because if you think in your mind's eye for a moment, anywhere you live, anywhere you work, in the context of the situation we find ourselves, are people that are hurting. People that have begun to accept the belief that their lives are marked by their mistakes and there's no hope. This woman, everywhere she went, went, would have been known as an adulteress. She would have been known as an outcast. And she would have carried that with her. She was at a well at noon, not because that was the best time to go. The best times to go were in the morning and in the evening. But she was avoiding people. And Jesus welcomes her in and brings her into the fold and then looks at his disciples and says, Do the same. Look, the fields are ripe for the harvest. People need to know how to worship me in spirit and truth. He changed the very life of one woman and her spirit was uplifted. She went back to the town. She brought him to Jesus and the truth of God was presented before them. And they believed and were saved. Do we have time for the sinner? Jesus did. Then we read another story. We go on and we're introduced to what's called in the fancy term a Herodian. You know what a Herodian is? One that worked for Herod. Now Herod, rightfully so, gets a pretty tough rap in the Bible. He wasn't a God-fearing man. He didn't make particularly good decisions and he didn't particularly love the Jews. So the other thing was, the Jews were longing for a Messiah that would deliver them from the hand of Roman oppression, correct? Yes. And so they were hoping that when the Messiah came, he would kill Herod. That was the goal, that was the objective, and that's what they expected. Jesus comes, he hangs out with a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, nobody you're going to make a good team with in, in the eyes of the world. And he comes... He walks from Sychar all the way up to Cana in Galilee. And in so doing, he comes across a man. And you follow that man starting in verse 43. And this man was a sympathizer. What do I mean by that? Politically, he had tied himself to Herod, to the government that Herod led. Now, what's that mean for us? Well, two, two ways of looking at it, and there's debate depending on which... A scholar you look at, one, the guy was a Gentile. At this point in life, Jews didn't hang out with Gentiles. That was against the rules. That, again, would have made you unclean. Kind of like hanging out with a Samaritan. Second, and even worse in the mind of many Jews, this man would have been a Jew that decided to work for Herod's government. Therefore, he was a sellout. Therefore, he chose a political association that didn't please them, and in their minds, God, and therefore they would want nothing to do with him. Either alternative does not make this man popular. Right? Okay, Jesus goes and he listens to this man. Not long, in fact, it's a one, two sentence dialogue. Basically, the man asked Jesus to help heal his son. What likely had happened, remember this was the place of Jesus' first miracle in Cana, in Galilee. So what had likely happened is they had heard about the miraculous changing water into wine. And this guy thought, if anybody can heal my dying son, it's this guy. But there's a problem. He's a Herodian. A Jew is not going to want to associate with him because he's the symbol of oppression. But Mike, I can read the rest of the story. Jesus heals the the guy's son. All is good. The household follows Jesus, and that's great. Yay. But we forget to try to think of that in terms of our context today. We forget that in a church, sadly, all sorts of politics mark us. Inner church politics can mark us. And I might step on your toes... And I'm okay with that. Some of you wish we would only sing hymns and have a piano. Okay? And you really can't stand that we have this kind of music. Well, I respect your opinion greatly, and I'm not going to get into a fight about you with you about which is better than the other. Because God has created us differently, and how we worship the Lord can often be vastly different depending on how he has made you. And I say sing hymns, because frankly, I like hymns a lot but we can get caught up in the debate over music. I was part of a church that once almost had a church split over one thing. Would you like to know what it was? The color of the carpet. (laughs) We laugh, but it's true. And so we stuck with the awful orange carpet from the 70s that no one was happy. Or then we begin to realize that in a fellowship, in a place of worship, we have different freedoms. And you need to go all the way into Romans to see what Paul says about this, and we'll get there at the very end. But some of you may enjoy a glass of wine, to which I say, if God has given you that freedom, awesome. Wine is great. And you know what? It has helped my stomach tremendously, a little bit. A little bit of wine has helped, and I learned that from the Scriptures. But others of you don't feel the freedom to do that. That's all right as well. We that enjoy a glass of wine shouldn't try to force one down your throat because we don't know the history of where you've come from. We should love you as you continue to grow to be more like Jesus. Or, I've wrestled with this all day and wondering how do I say it, and I want to be clear that I believe God has specific plans for Hong Kong. Some of you have feelings on the umbrella movement that others disagree with. And some of you may not like that my feelings on this movement and on the political disobedience or the civil disobedience here is that I pray that all of Hong Kong would be shown back to following the way of the Lord. But we could get into political discussions of who's right and who's wrong and how that interacts with the mainland China. I would much rather say how is God changing our hearts and how are we inviting others into a relationship with him and using our minds to wrestle with these very real political issues in the land we live. We should be thinking about it, but it shouldn't so mark us that we can't get along and accept one another as we walk this road. And we have to be so careful against that because here was a Herodian that would have been on the outside and Jesus, some were even calling him teacher at this point, goes up to this guy and he heals his son. Look at what the scriptures say. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. If you have a child, can you imagine any greater pain than knowing your child might die? I don't think there is any. Your child, it's your blood. And you love them in a way that I don't even know how God made it so. But this man was in agony. And Jesus replies, he looks at him, and it almost seems like he does it really quickly. Go, your son will live. That's it. He doesn't give a big, long discourse on faith. He simply says one sentence, go, your son will live. But interestingly enough is what comes next. The man Took Jesus at his word and he departed. Do we take Jesus at his word? Do we believe him when he says, Come follow me? Do we believe him when he says, Trust in me? Do we believe him when he says, I'm all you need, don't worry? Do we believe him when he says, my God shall supply all our needs according to his glorious riches. He makes Warren Buffett look poor. Do we believe him when he says he'll never give us more than we can handle, but we'll provide a way out so that we can stand up under it? We like to say we do, but do others see him in us? And are others invited in if they're struggling? Do we judge them even if we don't agree with them? Or do we walk alongside and say, let's walk through this together? Jesus walked alongside that man. If only for a moment, a Herodian, a man that wouldn't have been popular, and Jesus didn't care. Jesus healed him. And you know what? As you read the rest of the story, what took place? The man went home, heard when exactly his son had been healed, knew that was all Jesus, and his entire family came to believe on Jesus. You see, here's the application so far. If we have time for even the least of these, the sinner, the one we have a hard time agreeing with, and we're going to get to one more in a moment, you never know when the Holy Spirit might work before, within and through you to point that person to the hope that we have in Christ. How dare we say we don't have time for someone? How dare we say we can't get along with them? How dare we say I don't like them because Jesus hates sin yet loved us. It's that simple. It really is. I pray, and not all of you will like this, I pray that our church is marked with all sorts of sinners because we are sinners that have been saved by grace and we should be giving it away. We should be letting others know that Christ loves them and he accepts them as they are. That's regeneration. Sanctification is he doesn't leave us that way. (laughs) He continues to transform us to make him more like his son. As we learned last week, you want to know the mark of a true Christian? One that has been saved by grace through faith and continues to become more like Jesus every day of their lives. They'll know they are Christians by their love. So Jesus responds and loves and invests in a Samaritan woman that he has no business talking to a Herodian that would have been at odds with him politically potentially and would have made Jesus look bad in the eyes of the, the religious leaders of the day. And then we've got one more. We get to chapter 5. Open your Bibles to John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. And why it says up when he was up in Cana in Galilee is because geographically speaking, elevation-wise, it was up. Okay? So he went south to go up. I know it doesn't make quite sense, but it works. And there was a pool called Bethesda where invalids and cripples and paralyzed people and blind, they would go to seek healing. And there was rumors that an angel would come and stir that pool at certain times a day. But there were exposed in verse 5 to one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years is a long time today. But today, 38 years for a man is roughly half a lifetime. Uh, I think last year's uh, uh, life expectancy index said a man in Hong Kong could live up to 72 or 73 years. So we're doing pretty well uh, in comparison. Now, women, you live longer here than anywhere else in the world, which is amazing. However, back then, 38 years was a lifetime. Not many people lived into their 40s. There was disease, there was sickness, there was illness, there was robbers, there was all sorts of other things. And so this man, maybe his entire life had been an invalid sitting at this pool just hoping that somehow he would find healing. And this is where the story gets interesting. Because this is a man with special needs. Last weekend, if you were with us at church, out at Saikung, we got to meet a wonderful little girl named Renee, whom I love dearly. And we heard her dad cry out, and I asked if he minded if I shared this again this morning, and he, he gave me his blessing. And he said, Renee just needs to know that people love her. But the thing is, Renee is epileptic and has been learning delayed. So for us It can be hard to know how to talk to her. It can be hard to know how to relate to her family. So sadly, what we in the church have done, nothing. We've hoped they know we love them. But when push comes to shove, we hope that somebody else has been the one that's loved them. Jesus didn't do that to the man at the pool in Bethesda. Jesus walked right up to him and he looked at him. And if Bryce is an invalid and he said, you want to be well... Who in their right minds is going to say no? Jesus doesn't ask, do you want eternal life? In fact, that doesn't ever come into this passage. He says, don't sin anymore at the very end. But right now, Jesus only offers one thing. Do you want to be well? And the man answers yes. And Jesus says, get up your, pick up your mat and walk. Walk. And you know what? Sadly, the church of the day, the Pharisees and those watching, they weren't awed by the miraculous power of God. at work through the man, the God-man of Jesus Christ. They were mad because of the day Jesus did it. He did it on the Sabbath day. <laughs> and they got so hung up because Jesus didn't do it the right way that they missed the point that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost and to provide hope even for the least of these, even the one with special needs. Not only do I pray that our church will be marked with people that are sinners that don't know where to find hope, we've got hope for them. I pray that people that have been at odds with one another in this church will find reconciliation through Jesus Christ and that we can learn to get along. We're not going to agree with everybody on everything. That's okay. God gave us brains for a reason. But I pray also that people that are struggling, how do I raise a child with special needs? I'm struggling. I have a disability. I have this. That they know they can come here and be loved. They know that they can come here and people will care about them and take the relational risk of doing something wrong because doing something is better than doing nothing. I pray that we will be that kind of church, that we won't sit there and say, what are you doing for me? Because that's just selfish. And if we want to accept others like Jesus did, we got to go chase the hard people to love because Jesus did. That's who he is. It's what he's done. A 38-year-old invalid was able to walk. How do we do it? How do we apply it as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning? I want you to look at Romans chapter 15 and think real hard about what Paul teaches us straight from Jesus. He says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Here's the thing. The gospel in life is pretty simple. We were dead. Dead in our sins, dead in our mistakes, dead in the choices we've made. But God, through his infinite wisdom, his infinite justice, we'll talk about justice next Sunday, gave his son to pay the penalty on our behalf so that we could be made alive. Remember Jesus talking to the Pharisee leader. He says, how am I able to be born again? And Jesus says, you don't get it. You'll find new life in me. We've been made alive in Christ in order, not just for our own salvation. That's great. That's almost a side effect. But the reason we are saved is to bring praise to God because nothing gets someone else more excited than when they see our lives are lived for a higher purpose than our own. I have a six-year-old son and while you may or may not know him, the thing I'm learning is that that seems to be an age where they are all about themselves. Our daughter was the same at that age, and our younger daughter is learning from her older brother, and they can't stop thinking about themselves. So I'm so grateful that they've got small group leaders that are trying to teach them what it means to follow Jesus because he's not getting it from me. He knows the right answer, but he's got other people that are walking alongside and accepting him and loving him. Can we do the same? Can we accept because Christ has first accepted us? And then, how do we accept others? Well, what did Jesus do? He became a servant of the Jews on God's behalf, on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises made. He fulfilled the prophecies that were made long before him so that the Gentiles, that's us, may glorify God for his mercy As it is written, I will praise you among the Gentiles. You see, to a Jew, it was really hard to accept that being the chosen people of God might be expanded to those that were Gentiles. Those were, in some of your Bibles, it says barbarians. Yet Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. Peter calls us a royal priesthood, chosen By God to do his will. Will we accept others? Will we go chase the hard people to love, being a servant of all, considering others, we're told in Philippians, is better than ourselves? Or will we get caught up in our own stuff, forgetting that there's someone right next to you that really needs to know that somebody in this church loves them? I had to hear that last weekend. I had somebody lovingly tell me that, Mike, I just need you to listen right now. And it wasn't even my wife. Usually it's my wife. But this time, the most loving thing that person could do was say, I just need you to listen. And and the conviction of the Lord was upon me and I had to. And it was great. I was so glad to be able to hear from him. But the thing is, we bring glory to God in our acceptance of others. Did you realize that? HOW YOU LOVE ONE ANOTHER BRINGS GLORY TO GOD. DOUBT ME? WELL, THERE IT IS. IT'S RIGHT THERE. SECOND, JESUS LOVED THE HARDEST OF ALL PEOPLE. HE PRAYED FOR THOSE THAT HAD CRUCIFIED HIM AND SAID, FATHER, FORGIVE THEM FOR THEY KNOW NOT WHAT THEY DO. PEOPLE WILL ABUSE YOU. PEOPLE WILL PERSECUTE YOU. PEOPLE WILL HURT YOU. SORRY, IT DOESN'T GIVE YOU A WAY OUT TO HATE THEM BACK. IN FACT, WE'RE CALLED TO TURN THE OTHER CHEEK AND LOVE THEM EVEN MORE. GO LOVE THE HARD PEOPLE. And third, Jesus already did the heavy lifting. The harvest is before us. The fields are ready to be picked. People need to know who Jesus is. Will we love them enough to know they're welcomed in and loved? Or whatever our excuses gets in the way. We're going to shift toward communion now. And as we do, I want us to look at the three people we looked at today. A sinner, a sympathizer, and one with special needs and ask, are we accepting them as Jesus accepted us? As we prepare our hearts for communion, the apostle Paul tells us that we ought to examine ourselves before we come to communion, that to do so, to take the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner is to actually drink condemnation or damnation onto our souls. And what that means is that we don't come to communion lightly. We are called to remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we need the video, please. And we're called not just to remember, but to respond. And the amazing thing about communion is we're invited to do it together in union one with another. Communion isn't just an individual thing. The church is invited to participate together. So we're going to be quiet before the Lord for a minute and we're going to listen to a song. I've put the lyrics on the screen as well and it could be a painful song to consider but I ask that we would ask God, am I accepting others the way you've accepted me? Father. the body of Christ, like the scriptures tell us the church is, are we loving and accepting the way Christ has loved and accepted us? Are we loving the sinner? Are we loving the one we're at odds with, the sympathizer? Are we loving the one with special needs that we don't know how to love? Hebrews chapter 10, the author gives us a great preparation for communion. And as I read at the beginning of the service, he says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus did that for us. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. And then there's more. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm going to have, I believe, Keith and King come up to the front. And we're going to distribute the elements. What we do at Alliance International Church, if, you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is for you. Or is it Mark? Or... Okay, you're up. Sorry, whoever I left out. You're still accepted. But these elements for those who have chosen to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't yet done that, talk to us. We would love to talk to you about it and welcome you into the family. You are not meant to be outside of what God has for you and we want to tell you more. But for those of us in Christ, we are called to remember together what Jesus has done. And so we'll line up in each of these three rows and you can come when you're ready. We ask that you would hold off until all the elements have been distributed and then we'll take of them together. Paul writes us, he says, for what I received from the Lord, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us drink together. Lord, you gave your son so that we might have life and bring glory to you our Father who is in heaven. I pray that we would be a church that spurs one another on toward love and good deeds, that those that don't yet know you know they have a place here with us, that they are loved, whatever their circumstance in life is. And Lord, as we go out into the world, may we be light. May we find hard people and love them because you loved us. Lord, I thank you. We praise you for who you are. In your name, amen. I'm going to ask Pastor Harris, if you would help us sing the benediction to close today. We've gone a little bit beyond. So, sorry, Bryce. But would you rise with us?